Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Policy War. I am one of your hosts, Russell, and we have two other great members here who will introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Micah. All right, that was pretty quick, Matthew and Micah. Thank you very much. And uh, we we got two main topics here. One will be about the uh, health insurance crisis in America during coronavirus. And our second topic will be about Mississippi and how great and confederate of a state it is. So first of all, I guess we'll talk about this um, article I recently saw in the New York Times, which reported that COVID-19 tests can be drastically different in pricing. Um, according to the article written by Sarah Cliff, um, two people uh, involved in this, a person named LeBlanc and a person named Harvey for their last names, they got two coronavirus tests, one for each of them. One bill was $199 that person paid in cash, and the other one was around $6,408. Yes, that's like a 27 times difference in pay. One paid upfront in cash, one um, had their insurance provider handle some of it, but still had to pay $6,400 for a test. And with that, um, the U.S. has reported in getting as many as 50,000 cases a day, as that number is just growing recently. And the United States is the number one in the world in terms of amount of coronavirus cases. So this health insurance crisis describes up to the fact that any law been passed to actually mandate the tests during these times where people can get tested. And the answer to that is really no. The CARES Act did provide some vague regulations on testing, but it still is mostly up to insurance providers. And the article says that how much your coronavirus test costs basically depends on how large or small of an insurer you have. Um, many insurers like State Farm, um, they can negotiate the prices so that you can get lower testing or else the insured buyer will threaten not to cover the hospital or something like that. So it is very biased based on basically how much money you have during a time of health crisis. And I want to ask um, you know, Matthew and Micah, what do you think about this situation with insurance bills and COVID-19 tests and what are some ways to address it? You want to go first, Micah? Sure. So um, uh, this is kind of an example of why I think some form of universal health care is probably necessary uh, if you want to have a um, uh, healthy society. Um, that for me, that doesn't automatically have to be single payer, but it, it that is one system. Um, because uh, in a system, especially in pandemics, uh, it, this kind of just reveals how essential it is that uh, healthcare be uh, universalized to all people. Um, because if uh, if if one person is unhealthy, this can have negative ramifications upon all of society. Um, and in this case, um, you know, obviously in this case. Uh, the testing for coronavirus is causing is costing so much that it's actually going to disincentivize uh, people who have, may have coronavirus from uh, being able to get the testing, which may lead to negative consequences further down, um, which in my opinion is why uh, some form of, of universal health care is, is necessary. Um, obviously, uh, I don't... Uh, obviously, there's different models of that. You know, in Germany and Japan, they have relatively mixture of public and private systems uh, with some uh, regulations of the market. Uh, in the United Kingdom, they have a full single payer system where it's basically just nationalized healthcare. Um, in Canada and Australia, they have public insurance, which is basically what Bernie wanted. Um, 
And then, of course, you know, you, uh, you've got like some more moderate, moderate plans, which are like, we're going to have uh, some public insurance system that covers low income people, um, which to an extent already exists in the United States, but it's not the most robust system. Uh, and honestly, uh, this is just, in my opinion, a, a, a way of demonstrating the fact that uh, um, healthcare is something which uh, needs to be universalized. And that actually is my opinion on what dictates whether or not something should be uh, public or private is something should be public when, in order for society to be healthy, it needs to be the case that it's equally distributed uh, to all people, regardless of socioeconomic status. I would uh, have to. Oh, you don't. Dear, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and, and that is, um, why, and basically if something doesn't meet that criteria, I think it should be completely privatized. Okay. I would have to actually disagree with your viewpoint. I'm going to read part of the quote from this article here. It says, quote, the Trump administration has taken steps to limit patients out of pocket costs for coronavirus testing and treatment using relief funds to reimburse providers for uninsured patients bills. Insurers are required to cover patients coronavirus tests with no cost sharing or co-payments. Okay, so with that going on, what we're looking at here is kind of a special occasion. Yes, there are problems with uh, insurance coverage and things aren't equal, and I can get into a conversation on that in itself, on how hospitals are not the same and how payments are going to be hard in a system like this. But one of the problems with the insurance providers in this case is your uninsured people are being reimbursed, whereas your insur insurance companies are not. So insurance companies have to make up for the cost somehow, and so they're going to charge more versus someone who does not use their insurance. And then I'd also like to cite overall in this article, uh, if, if you read into it, it's about two individuals that decide to go on a camping trip together for a 13-day camping trip. Uh, I would say that, yes, $6,000 is outrageous, if I recall correctly. $6,000 is the, uh, the cost for the individual that was insured versus $199 for the person with, who was uninsured. But these two individuals are going on a camping trip and do not have to do that action. We have to remember we're in a pandemic where people need to be social distancing and limiting their time outdoors. And so there's going to be a cost to that. You know, these tests should be reserved for individuals that need it or individuals that are in dire care, healthcare professionals, making sure that they can triage people in the hospital. I understand that they're, they're trying to take a precaution to stop themselves and their other camping mates from getting infected or possibly you know being infected maybe testing for their own thing but this is something where they're getting a service that they do not necessarily need at the time when you're in a moment where testing needs to be focused on individuals that need it if you understand what i mean this is a limited resource uh i just like okay. to a little okay. bit and then i'll let you talk micah um okay. i, I I do want to say to your first point that insurance companies, uh, you said they incur most of the costs, which is what insurance companies are supposed to incur. They're supposed to incur most of the costs. Many large insurance companies are getting billions and millions of dollars in pretty much no interest loans from the Fed to help them handle the uh, increased burden of people not being able to pay their insurance bills. So I don't feel much in, sh in sympathy for insurance companies when they're getting a bunch of basically welfare from the federal government. I think they should take on 100% of the bill, especially for COVID-19 tests in this time of strife. And to the second point of it's their fault because they don't need to go on a camping trip and they need to social distance, um, you've already noticed that society, especially America, is alleviating social distancing. In my in my town, there's literally going to be a July 4th festival where 
thousands of people could show up because there really is no law that enforces against that in my state. And it's kind of sad, really. Like, people are acting like coronavirus does not exist anymore. And even if you think it does, you cannot afford a test to even see if you have it. I think the test isn't just for people who quote unquote need it. It's for everybody to make sure you don't infect anybody near you and make sure you know if you're going to incur, you know, a crisis in your lungs and oxygen, obviously. So I don't think we should base it on, oh, you need it because you're an essential worker and you don't because you're not an essential worker or, you know, you have a hobby and you don't need that hobby anymore. I think we need to look at different criteria for that. But yeah. Um, can, can I reply to what uh, uh, Matthew said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So, um, any uh, any um points that you uh, so like this is just my take that I had come off with just reading this article. Yeah, I understand. Uh, kind of off the cuff, obviously. Yeah. Um, and as for the camping thing, I feel like camping kind of is social distancing, aren't they? Like, kind of in the middle of the wilderness. They are in the middle uh, of the wilderness. Yeah. And there's no other people out there, right? But they chose. I don't. To do I don't actually. Themselves. I don't actually camp. What I'm saying. What I'm saying. <laughs> I yeah. Don't camp, I would know. They're camping with three or four other other individuals. Yes, there's social distance. But what I'm saying is like, it, it's essentially like, uh, I guess it's hard to compare because it's a pandemic. But for uh, kind of a uh, somewhat of a comparison, it's like getting a random blood test when you don't yeah. really you know you know what i mean like they they decided okay we're gonna get this testing procedure before we do this just to see if we're sick this is not something dire or something where it's like you know i'm gonna be working the ward or i'm working at a nursing home and i've got to make sure i'm not infecting a high at risk group of uh, patients we're just getting tested to see if hey we're going camping with these 300 other individuals they may get infected too what uh okay if that's Good. If that's the case, then honestly, I think that kind of makes sense. They probably just shouldn't be camping. And um, uh, when you finish, I'd like to respond to one of Russ's points. Oh, I'd actually like to okay. respond to his case. And then uh, we can have a counterpoint, and then we can move on to the next. Okay. Um, and, and as far as healthcare, my, my only point about healthcare is, was I guess my point about healthcare was kind of dis dis uh, um, dissynchronized from the actual case, because I was mostly just going off the cuff. Um, mm -hmm. But my point about healthcare was just that, like, I believe that things should be universalized if it needs to be universalized for society to be able to properly function. Uh, because, like, obviously, if one person doesn't participate in this thing, that it essentially results uh, in negative consequences for society as a whole. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually kind of probably in the center of this group because uh, I, I actually don't really support um like single payer, I just support like a mixture of a public and a private system. Uh, That's what market. most uh, people do. I think the only real big exception to that uh, that I can think of off the top of my head is like Switzerland, where they uh, have uh, they have like a full private insurance thing, and they have their own troubles yeah. with the cost of coverage. Yeah. But most of them have a public option, and then employment will provide their own insurance to help their workers yeah. get what they and need. And then I, I know. I know the UK is probably uh, is full single payer. Yeah, the UK, um, it, Germany, the single -payer. actually, um, they France, they, have, they have different systems, but all the countries have an option where you can cover healthcare for basically anybody who wants it. So basically, all of them have better, I want uh, better subjective, but they have healthcare that's accessible for anyone who wants it, no matter 
what your income level is. Germany is a little bit different because you are required uh, to have healthcare for things like pregnancy and uh, private insurance. I mean, for things like pregnancy and uh, and out of patient issues. But I do want to continue on our main conversation about um, what math you wanted to rebuttal there. Okay, so I wanted to mainly uh, um, rebut, I guess, uh, would be your claim that insurance companies should pay 100%. Uh, during these time frames. So the main thing is, uh, I believe there needs to be limitations because, of course, uh, I understand for every day, you know, if this was an everyday argument that, you know, insulin should not cost somebody $500, you know, I'll agree with you there. But this is something where we're in a pandemic. We need to limit the testing to what we have the capability of doing. And so since the insurance companies are, are not being compensated for this, they're taking out of pocket and insurance, they're weighing risks. Okay, so they have to, they pool their risk with all the empl- usually uh, people get their private insurance through their employer. So they're pooling the risk of all those employees. And if people decide they're going to get testing, that's a large amount out of their pockets when these people would usually be relatively healthy. Now, I could understand if it was treatment, like somebody's in the ER, they have corona, you know, surprise medical billing on that end. Yes, they need to be compensated. Yes, insurance needs to pull a bit more weight. But if, if, if it's just testing, when you may not need it, like, like I, I, I would understand if, uh, for example, you're working at a factory, let's say you're working at a factory and you're social distancing and you're sick and your employer's like, we need you to get tested to make sure you don't, you know, give everybody else coronavirus. I can understand that, you know, you're mandated, your employment's on the line. But if it's something recreational like this, insurance companies, as I said before, based upon risk, so you're really footing the burden on them for something that they have to delicately balance. I, I understand that, but the whole reason for the Fed printing an unprecedented trillions of dollars uh, to give no interest loans is to make sure businesses like in- essential companies, like insurance companies, can handle this burden and eventually pay it off later on. Insurance companies were meant to help people during times of crisis, not um, build them with I mean, the hospital bills them, but the insurance company doesn't take on a lot of the price of a 6400 bill. And having sympathy for the insurance company more than having sympathy for the person who has to foot that bill to make sure that their life is safe is just a difference of opinion, I would guess. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll do you mind if I uh, re- give a quick response and then yeah, go on? Uh, yeah. So my response to that would be as uh, this is almost like an act of God. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where they really can't see it coming from a mile away. You know what I mean? Like who would guess, okay, there's going to be a giant pandemic. And so you're going to need testing. You're going to need stuff shut down. I'd agree with you if it was something like, you know, day to day, you know, taking care of someone who has hypertension or somebody has diabetes or someone who has, you know, certain disabilities. But when you have a pandemic or something this widespread and you're having to develop the stuff and you're having to uh, get these revolutionary, you know, uh, tests out there and so it's gonna be expensive to create i can see where it's kind of a limiting factor and why they're not covering as much because of Mm. course we did shut down uh anyway that's just going to be my last word you can go ahead if you want to rebuke or have a final say and then talk about good old mississippi oh boy okay so um so the second article we're going to mention is an article from the post by uh, Brittany shamus it's titled Let's see here. It is titled Mississippi lawmakers pass resolution paving 
way to remove Confederate symbol from state flag. So essentially the rundown is the Mississippi Senate and House with a two-thirds majority voted to pass legislation to redesign their flag that contains the Confederate, uh, the Beauregard Confederate flag in the upper left corner. Uh, The bill was also signed by the governor, Tate Reeves, which goes against his previous statement that he would uh, sign, he would sign a law uh, to a referendum for the individuals of the state to vote upon whether or not to remove their flag. And so the primary questions that I have regarding this is, is it warranted to bypass public opinion on this symbol? There was, as the article mentions, there was uh, mounting opposition to the flag to have it changed because uh, of course with George Floyd and the protests, people have uh, more noted, uh, people are more aware of these symbols and more keen on changing them. Uh, However, there's actually a pretty interesting history with the Mississippi flag. So Mississippi never really had a flag. Um, Looking at uh, an article by David Sansing, who's a professor uh, emeritus at the University of Mississippi. Mississippi, when they became a state, had the Bonnie Blue flag, followed by, in 1861, followed by the Magnolia flag, less than a month later, and then they joined the Confederate States of America and had the Confederate flags. Their original flag was not actually created until 1894, which is a good 20 years after the Civil War. So this was, their current flag was created following the Civil War. Now people can argue that, of course, it was created by revisionists or Southern pride during the reconstruction era so you have people who want to view the south in a negative light maybe take Mm -hmm. valor for you know the fallen um anyway in 1906 they forgot to transfer the statues in the mississippi code to create the 1894 flag as the official state flag of mississippi so from eight from 1906 to 2000, Mississippi technically did not have an official state flag. So the Supreme Court noticed and made Mississippi hold a vote for their flag. And uh, well, actually, Mississippi decided to have a vote in 2001 on their flag uh, to decide if they wanted to keep their current flag or create a new flag. And they voted two to one in 2001 to keep the 1894 flag. So essentially, Uh, I'm going to restate the question of, is it warranted? Because you see, and of course, times may have changed between now and then. Is it warranted to bypass the public opinion on something like this? And where do we draw the line on Confederate symbols? Mike, you can go first on this. Uh, So as far as I'm concerned, um, I I really don't think Confederate symbols uh, have a place. Um, So obviously, I think it makes, historically speaking, it makes sense why there would still be uh, Confederate symbols to this day. Um, because obviously, uh, after the um, war ended, uh, the uh, North was going to have to make some concessions uh, to uh, sort of accommodate the South. Um, and obviously, the South is going to want to preserve um, its uh, its symbols. Um, but personally, as far as I'm concerned, um, and I don't think it should be banned on private property or anything like that. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we the country that we live in represents values different from the values of the country 
that we fought against uh, the Confederate States of America. Uh, because obviously the, the um, Confederate States of America, you know, obviously the, the very... Um, it, it is true that what the Confederate States were fighting for was they wanted independence because obviously they didn't want to do what the federal government wanted them to do. But at the same time, the reason, the thing that the federal government wanted them... So, and they would say states' rights as a way of saying that. But what the thing that the federal government wanted them to do that they didn't want to do that got them to want to secede was abolish slavery. Uh, which is kind of like saying, you know, um, oh, it, oh, the war, war was about states' rights, and then someone replies, oh, states' rights to what? Um, so, you know, and, and obviously the, the Confederate flag we think of isn't the actual Confederate flag, right? It's the battle flag, I believe. Um, yeah, it's a Beauregard battle flag. Yeah. The actual yeah. Confederate flag had the, uh, it had stars in the corner, it was white, and it had a red stripe because the original one was white. Well, one of the original ones was white, and they confused it with surrender. So they put the yeah. red stripe so it didn't actually look like surrender. Anyway, go ahead, Russ. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just had one more oh, thing to say. Okay, sorry. Um, and what I'm saying is, I, I think um, if I think uh, personally, if someone wants to put the Confederate, like I don't know if you've seen Info Warrior rides on Reddit, um, but like these people who have like Confederate flags on their car and like bumper stickers and stuff. Um, I think they should be allowed to do that, but I don't think government buildings should have Confederate flags anymore. Okay, I would... I would. It's hard to say whether they should ban it in all cases if individuals have it, but I would agree that no state should have a Confederate symbol on its flag because it's literally supporting a rebellion, and that rebellion is for slavery. No, no matter how much you kid yourselves, that's what the rebellion against the Union was for after Abraham Lincoln was elected. Um, and I, I do want to quote something here um, from the speaker in the House of Representatives in Mississippi. He says in the Washington Post article, quote, By changing our flag, we don't abandon our founding principles. We embrace them more fully by doing what is right. We're not moving further away from our founding fathers' visions. We're moving closer to them. We're not destroying our heritage. We're fulfilling it. And it's a weird way of looking at it because this is really just virtue signaling to the Black Lives Matter movement, to people who want some real change in America. You don't have change by adhering to values that um, were... Concurrent, concurrent with slavery. Washington owned slave. George Washington owned slave. Thomas Jefferson owned slave. And he's the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence where America is a free nation. So we don't really have good roots to look back on when it comes to this issue. Instead of actually wanting to change some legislation that's important, like changing, um, say, where or how discrimination on housing is imposed on the black community, or if black schools and impoverished areas should get more funding. Notice how Mississippi does not want to do a referendum on that. They want to do a referendum on a symbol, something that doesn't have real legislative importance because they don't want the people to have any actual influence over important legislation. Now, I'm not saying the flag is not important, but not as nearly as important as the laws that allow discrimination in this country. And we need to look beyond this um, this trivial flag concept which should have been gone a hundred years ago it's it's not the main issue here and the fact that mississippi is just now saying oh guys we'll change our flags please forget about everything else we're doing uh we're just one of the most uneducated 
and the screaming Corey Saints in the Union. Don't worry about that. We do. We need to change the flag, though. You know, it just it just seems uh, ridiculous to me. But I like your your point. Okay, so uh, one question was answered there, so I'm going to reiterate uh, one of the questions, and then I'll offer a hypothetical. Okay, so uh, the one question I don't believe was really answered too much is: Is it okay to bypass a referendum by the population? Because in 2001, as I said before, times may have changed, but they voted two to one to keep the flag. Oh, as it, it depends was. on it depends on well multiple things. There's different types of referendums. There, there's advisory referendums, which the state does not have to follow because um, they're advisory, and then there's mandatory referendums, which the state does have to follow. It depends on what type of referendum this is, and also on all laws which are passed by referendum or by regular vote in a legislative body, they still have deadlines and due dates to where people need to re-vote on them. So it's not like because, say, you voted to, I don't know, um, <laughs> abolish alcohol in the 1900s means that law is still enacted today. Yes, it was reversed, but times change and laws have to change with them. So just saying because it was voted on one time doesn't mean um, the law should stay there forever. There should be multiple opportunities to vote, which you know is what this is. So yeah, I, th- I think I think change. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 in every law because if you have a practice where, like, say the NSA Act, uh, the Patriot Act, and say there is no revoting process on that, and Americans learned, oh, they can just spy on us if they assume or suspect we're terrorists without any real evidence. Okay. So that law is in place for how long? Oh, 100 years. Oh, all right. This this represents Uh, the people, the state of Mississippi, which the people, you know, the residents would have a kind of a say in because it's your state. So shouldn't the people of that state be able to vote or is bypassing it and allowing the representatives to directly just vote perfectly fine? I'll let Micah answer that. I think um, there comes a, a point, and I think, um, like with, uh, if you have a referendum on something, I don't think it has to stay that way forever. Um, for instance, if you had a referendum uh, on an issue... Wait, let me clarify you... really quick. Let me clarify. I'm not saying the former referendum in 2001 stands. I'm saying they hold another referendum oh, so that did? people can vote. I'm not saying that 2001 referendum stands right now. I'm saying times have changed since then. What I'm saying is, is it just for them to bypass the population and vote this in, even though the population, I mean, with society as it is now, they very well may vote, yes, we want the thing gone, because there were multiple people who came out in support. Walmart's not even selling uh, Confederate flags anymore, if I recall correctly, but I'm saying basically, is it just for them to bypass on this situation, or should they have held a referendum for uh, the people for them to decide? I don't, I don't think the government is ever obligated to do a referendum. Um, I think uh, if they choose to, they, if the government chooses to, they, and they do a referendum, and they decide to go against what the results of the referendum were, I don't think that's good. Um, but I don't think the government is ever obligated to do specifically this thing on a referendum. But isn't this a, de- isn't this a democracy, and isn't that something that represents the state, which represents the people where well, they we're would have a representative, the best interest? We're a representative democracy, not a direct democracy. We can have some direct democracy with referendums, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, in no state or country in the world is a full direct democracy, which means there's a referendum on the whole population about every single law change. 
It won't so, have to be every single law, though. Go yeah, ahead. it doesn't. It doesn't. It's up to the legislature usually when they want it or when they don't. Um, it can lead to so-called tragedies or miracles, however you view it, in relating to Brexit, of course. And we all see how um, that turned out. So referendums. Yeah, go ahead. You gonna say something? And that's just referendums. I'm also fine with ballot initiatives, which is different because it's actually uh, proposed by generally regular people or organizations, and then put on the ballot. Um, so, like, I know, like, a lot of uh, weed legalizations on state levels have been done through ballot initiatives. Essentially, where someone will petition the government to get it put on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what I'm getting um, at here is this is like I can understand for some measures, for instance. Brexit may have not been the best thing to put on a referendum because it has economic repercussions and not everybody's educated on what that would totally mean. But this is something where it's completely aesthetic. It is completely moral, you know, value, like every individual can decide, you know, for themselves, do we want this to represent us? Yay, nay. And so that's why I'm saying, like, I could understand, like, maybe with a new tax or something like that where yes we'd have representatives decide that because they'd be more educated hopefully we vote them in but something like this where it's purely design it, it yeah it's all still subjective and based on expertise you'd be surprised how many people don't know anything about the civil war um unless you constantly get reminded of it and no offense to those people it's just it's hard to remember history if you aren't reminded of it a lot. And many people in their regular lives are not reminded of the Civil War. They're not reminded of the importance of that split of the nation because it happened 160 years ago. So assuming the entire population is educated on this issue is something you'll never have on almost any issue. Uh, and I, I do think to that question of is this a way to bypass uh, responsibility for it, it, it really is because this legislation... Um, it's not really important, dare I say. Yes, it's symbolically important, but in terms of structural change and how um, state law works, it's not significant. Um, and yeah, go ahead, Micah. Um, so yeah, all I all I really can say is that I just I don't um, unless there's like a ballot initiative or a referendum that's done and they go against it, I think that'd be bad. But at the same time, I don't think the government is ever obligated to do a referendum. I think if they want to just vote on something directly, they if the legislature wants to vote on something itself, it should be allowed to. Honestly, I view um referend if the government chooses to do a referendum, I view that as kind of a cool a cool thing. Like you know, they're throwing a bone at the at the at the people um, and mm-hmm. letting them vote on this issue themselves. But I don't think it's like an obligatory thing. Okay, mm-hmm. that's essentially what I was looking for. And then the hypothetical I was going to throw. Uh, because if I recall correctly, you said earlier, and this is not a direct quote, of course, but you had mentioned earlier that the Confederate symbols have no place in public. Uh, I understand both of you. Both of you have agreed that you know if it's some if it's someone you know slaps a bumper sticker, they're going to have a Confederate flag on their truck. You know, they're a private individual, so on and so forth. So I offer you a hypothetical. What if? It is a cemetery or a public cemetery that has Confederate soldiers there. Because, yes, you can argue that the Confederacy upholds the values of slavery to some people, but for other people, it's valor, it's fighting for your land, it's heritage. I mean, to give you an example, Nazi Germany. Not every individual that was fighting for Germany in World War II upheld those values, but in the situation they were in, they were defending their homeland. Maybe it was mandatory. So does that mean that 
you know, something honoring their burial has to be cleansed of any of that, uh, I guess, symbolism? Or uh, Probably be... not. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, it really depends. I, I think... Um... I think uh, if uh, if it's a private individual who puts a Confederate flag on their on their uh, rel- on their di- relative's grave, what a- or, or like their distant relative's grave or something, um, but I, I don't like I don't think there should be um, I don't think the government should be directly putting Confederate symbols on anything. What if it's an area that is Confederate, you know, Confederate uh, soldiers that have you know died that were buried in said cemetery and the section is dedicated to well, them like it, well, there's it's not go ahead well if we're if we're making a direct analogy to the nazis uh i think the, we already have decided this that the nazis don't get honored at all um even the soldiers who fought in nazi germany we tend to view them as like all pieces of shit um that that's you know, a even thing that's i made not necessarily true i made a comparison by saying that because that's something where it's a horrible human rights you know violation that that being the genocide and the killing the holocaust and the killing of the jewish people and gypsies and various minorities but i was making that direct connection or the analogy to show that there are individuals that are lumped into that group that don't uphold those values but are in a gray area i'm not saying that they'd fly a nazi flag over the the grave but what i'm saying is for something along that line go ahead russ i do want to say when you do a state-sponsored, um, sorry, I can't talk now. No. State-sponsored graveyard, basically, um, and you have the Grand Union flag of the Confederacy, then you are also sponsoring the intentions of these people. Now, you, you do say land, valor, and then in the same thing you said, oh, it's horrible human rights. I, I'm sorry, I don't know your position on this, but just saying this is how people think usually. But then I also think, well, slavery is a huge human rights violation. You're literally treating I agree. people like objects. And if the state sponsors that in any way explicitly, like with a Confederate flag um, being promoted over their graveyard, it's just the state doesn't consider that immoral. They're sponsoring these people's morals. And that's the weird thing about states that were, were once confederacies. They were forced into the union, but they still hold the values of, you know, basically white supremacy and while most of america probably doesn't the south still does and the federal government should enforce something like that where the state cannot sponsor any confederate symbols because it could it could increase patriotism for a nation that never truly existed which was the confederacy and i think it's a bad it's a bad step to take for history when you honor rebels who had immoral actions. If that was true, we could honor serial killers, which we shouldn't do. And all honesty, I think plantation owners probably had very little morals in their process of not caring about whipping people, splitting them in two with horses, or having them die while picking cotton. It's just hard to say that's moral at all. So the reason why I bring this up is because if you're in a cemetery, is it not more of like a historical site? Is it not, you know, this is not the town square. This is somewhere where you have people who died for the Confederacy, where that's what they died for. Maybe they were not fighting for all the rights below that, but they were fighting for that during that time period. No one is just visiting. uh, Nobody's just randomly walking through a cemetery. 
Might you know what I mean? This is like a, this is a sectioned area. This isn't downtown, you know, th- this isn't downtown prime real estate. This is already a secluded area. You know, it's not like you have anything new developed there. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to be leveling that anytime soon. So that's why I bring it up as an example. It's one of those kind of gray area things of this is not your post office. This is not your everyday thing. This is somewhere where those people would go, where people who were maybe relatives or people who are looking at something historical would go. And so I see is your guys' statement is, okay, it's just not tolerated in public in general, so it should just be museum, that's it. No. Yeah. You didn't have Um, final word. I'm just saying that's why I see. Yeah, I think uh, um, one thing, I do think museums should have it. Uh, just because it's like historical, I mean, we have mo- we in museums we have like uh, exhibits about like medieval torture devices. That's not a moral. Ju- uh, so it's not like we're saying that like flaying people was okay. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't think the public should ever um, recognize a flag from like uh, a nation like that. I do think there is some gray area, which can lead to some uh, issues because, uh, w- like, what what threshold do we use to determine what what type of state? Uh, shouldn't be um, like uh, recognized or honored by America, uh, or uh, or like even be allowed to be on public lands. Because like for instance, um, uh, actually no, I, I I think that's a bit more complicated for this subject. But um, yeah, I don't think that there should be Confederates uh, on public land. Of course, if a private person wants it, then that's fine. They can do it. Yeah, I I just want to make clear, like, with all the people arguing for statues to be removed of Confederate generals, and obviously Confederate symbols to be removed, there's a difference between remembrance of history and glorification of history. And these statues and Confederate symbols over graveyard, I, I, I truly believe that's glorification of these people, when we shouldn't be glorifying them for immoral actions. But... I'll let the viewers decide what their beliefs on that is. Um, that will be all for the episode today. Uh, we'll post every week. And I guess this is us signing out. So thank, thank you all for listening. See and uh, yeah. See you next week. Happy See you next week. <laughs>